0: In this episode of All About Elephants, we speak with Nikita Dhavan. She's founder of Youth for Animals, and she's leading a worldwide campaign to free Shankar the elephant from the Delhi Zoo. Nikita is 16 years old, and she's here joining us from India. Welcome, Nikita.
1: Hi. uh, Thank you so much for having me. I'm really
0: excited. I'm so excited as well. And you're joining us, I believe, from Delhi. Is that right? Yes, in Delhi. Fantastic. So, uh, Nikita, you're in Delhi. You've um, called in to the show to share all of the great work that you're doing, particularly for Shankar the Elephant. Uh, you've established a global voice on Shankar's behalf, and I've seen all of the worldwide press that your campaign has gotten uh, here in the U.S., the U.K., of course, in India. Talk a little bit first about you uh, and the work you're doing and how you started Youth for Animals, and then let's get into some of the specific activism you're doing for elephants.
1: Um, Yeah, sure. So I am currently a junior at the American Embassy School, and I'm passionate about environmental conservation and animal welfare. So I think I first started Youth for Animals uh, during the pandemic, so I felt like we all like vividly remember the feeling of being confined in our own homes. So we felt the sense of like pain and isolation and anger because we were cut off from all our friends and you know we felt this lack of freedom. And I had a realization on that captive animals go through the same thing for their entire lives. And it wasn't for like our, it wasn't for their safety, like it was for us, but it was rather for our Entertainment. So we started Youth for Animals based on an anti-captivity aspect, and we had actually started a petition, a world without zoos. Um, but slowly, we started to broaden our vision uh, for you know more anti-cruelty and anti-animal abuse. And I think we started by recruiting a few volunteers and advisors. I think currently we have seven permanent volunteers, but we have a lot of like uh, younger people who keep coming and going. And we have three advisory board members. So it's really great to get their mentorship. And um, so we started mostly as like a social media campaign. Uh, We would just like post stuff, raise awareness. And I think uh, Shankar's project was the first activism-based campaign. So it was really cool to explore that part of um, this field as well.
0: Yes. So what you've shared is activism. You've talked about social media. You've talked about what... It sounds like a very grassroots effort uh, to give voice to captive animals in zoos. And I definitely want to talk to you about the World Without Zoos campaign as well. You've got a lot going on. And and your website, uh, youthforanimals.org, I'm going to mention that a few times. Throughout for our listeners, Youth for Animals, all one word org. Uh, you have artwork, poetry, uh, faces of some of your ambassadors and volunteers. So uh, I think we're off to a great start just hearing and setting the stage about your work. But uh, you took us back to COVID and the beginning of COVID, mm-hmm. Nikitha, as. The start of understanding psychologically what these animals are going through uh, for our entertainment, for human entertainment. Let's talk about Shankar and his journey and how you came about uh, giving his story a voice.
1: Yeah, sure. So I first, uh, just a bit of a backstory, I became interested in elephants when I did an internship with World Animal Protection. So I was doing research and reading articles about the ill treatment of elephants in India. And I remember coming across a few processes like the crush, which is used to break the elephant spirit. And I thought it was very ironic how in India, we're always, you know, praising and um, adoring elephants as these cultural symbols, yet our words are not reflecting our actions because re- in reality, behind the scenes, it's not what it looks like. And a lot of people are not aware of the um, conditions they are they go through, especially in like religious festivals or in zoos. So that's when I became like immersed in the treatment of captive elephants in India. And I think uh, one of the things I wanted to mention was just how fascinated I was by elephants. Um I found that they were very intelligent and sentient beings which I never realized myself and you know they're very similar to us actually you know they grieve uh people will we grieve elephants just like we grieve people they're incredibly social animals they bond with each other and form lifelong friendships and uh they're very intellect intellectually complex and I just became really interested in that field so um specifically for Shankar I had come across a 2009 uh, legislation by the Central Zoo Authority which is um, a central like authority controlling all the zoos in India and it was basically banning the exhibition on elephants in zoos and it had not been revoked so I thought it was weird we have three elephants in the Delhi Zoo itself so we found that clear violation in the law and then we went after it so when I visited the Delhi Zoo and saw Shankar's solitary state, I think that was just terrible moment. I was so saddened by his condition. I saw that he had clear signs of distress and loneliness, and he had um, stereotypic uh, behavior where he was repetitively moving from side to side and his head was bobbing. And I remember the people around me were like dancing out, they thought he was dancing out of happiness. Mm -hmm. There was a clear disconnect in what people thought was happening and his actual distress. And some other things about Shankar is that he is an elephant. He came into India when he was two years old as a diplomatic gift from Zimbabwe. And he had a mate called Bombay, but uh, she unfortunately passed away in the um, like 2002, 2005. And so he has been solitary ever since, and he is chained for around 17 hours a day, He has not even an acre of space to walk around when elephants need like 50 kilometers. They usually walk 50 kilometers in the wild. His diet is not a natural diet. He doesn't have the natural vegetation he needs. There are no natural bodies of water. It's just like a shallow pool and um, it's not what an elephant needs. And um, yeah, and also there's a railroad right around his enclosure and that's very harmful since elephants have very sensitive ears people are clapping. He's under a lot of distress. So those are uh, a couple of things that struck me about Shankar's condition specific. And also he was an African elephant and um, he was alone when elephants need a mate. And the reason they hadn't put Shankar with the Asian elephants is because they're different species so they're not going to mix. And there are only two African elephants in India so obviously there was a problem and keeping him in the zoo wasn't going to solve anything.
0: Yeah, wow. So as a diplomatic gift, uh Shankar made his way from Africa, from the wild into the Delhi Zoo. And now over the 24- plus years of captivity. uh, His conditions sound like they were bad to start and are continuing to just get worse um, with the loss of his mate and, of course, continued isolation. And even those details, Nikita, that you offered to our listeners about the railroad nearby, uh, the lack of water, those are really significant details to the livelihood of Shankar and all elephants who shouldn't be in zoos and captivity. Can you talk a little bit about the appeal that you are making through the petitions, through the um, points you've listed for the National Zoological Park? How are you influencing change?
1: Um, Yeah, sure, so the first thing we did is that we compiled scientific information on why uh, elephants should not be kept in captivity, and that was around a 23-page letter. So we first sent that to the Delhi Zoo asking for his release. Uh, but they did not respond. So then to take it to the next level, we researched the legal regulations around elephants confi- around an elephant's confinement. And I'll get to that in the um, PIL. So we eventually filed a public interest litigation in the Delhi High Court asking for Shankar's release. And some of the grounds we mentioned was that the 2009 Central Zoo Authority legislation is being violated because elephants are not supposed to be kept in, on exhibition but it had not been revoked and shunker was still there. Uh, another ground that we focused on was the Central Zoo Authority guideline that an elephant cannot be kept in solitary, solitary for more than six months uh, and this is a violation of a um, rule in 2014 I think and Shankar had been in uh, solitary confinement for like 16 years. So that was a clear disconnect we saw. And the respondents we directed this to was the Union of India, the Delhi Zoo, the Delhi State and the Ministry of Environment. Um, So that's how um, when we sent it to the court. And just to give an update on the court, we had our first hearing on January third, And in that hearing, they had accepted the petition and they directed a They uh, told the zoo to come up with a representation or have solutions for us by March 9th. Unfortunately, our court date was deferred on March 9th because the judges weren't hearing cases that day. So our next hearing is going to be on May uh, 12th.
0: On May 12th. So just a few weeks away. um, Mm -hmm. How how is the outlook? how how do those go? Do you show up? Um, are you the main voice? Are there others that are supporting you as well? Um, yeah,
1: so the petitioner is not allowed to go there, unfortunately, but we have uh, two lawyers who are helping us, and they've been very helpful since they're passionate about the cause themselves, and we also have a senior advocate, um, Mr. Raj Panjwani, so they usually go to the court and, um, you know, whatever the proceedings are. So um, I'm not really sure what we are oh. hoping for the next time, but I'm pretty sure um, hopefully the zoo will send us their proposed solutions before that date. So we'll have time to review them. Um, our personal request is to, to the court is to release Shankar to a sanctuary in Africa um, and enact a rehabilitation program. So yeah.
0: Yeah. So what, to, what would that look like to, to the extent that you know how sanctuaries work? Paint a picture of what Shankar's life really could be if he were free, uh, as soon as hopefully in the next couple of months. What will that look like when he goes to sanctuary?
1: Um, yeah, so I think the whole process of finding a sanctuary for Shankar was really difficult because just integrating an adult bull African elephant okay. into a sanctuary is difficult since he's been living alone for so long. So we had a lot of like skeptics about it. They told us it's more feasible and logical to keep him in a domestic sanctuary. And, you know, we do agree. But at the same time, we think that's just a good temporary solution. It doesn't solve the underlying problem of him being alone. We want him to be with other African elephants in his natural habitat. So that is uh, one of the reasons we had reached out to like over a dozen sanctuaries. So it wasn't an easy process. Um, Finally, the Aspinall Foundation, which is a UK-based charity, they offered to facilitate his translocation and pay for all the expenses. And um, so they're... Yeah, I know, it's really amazing. And they're experts on rewilding. So um, they will be looking for a rewilding program for Shankar. So we think that's really amazing. Um, But first, I think they would have to come to India and do a medical assessment of Shankar to see if he's fit enough to travel since that process can be um, a bit risky, so.
0: Yeah, you, you've you painted uh, a really important picture for us, I think, in that the first point is that it sounds like it's almost kind of can be used as an excuse for Zeus saying, well, mm-hmm. this elephant, he's already been domesticated. And when you use the term rewilding, that just shows that there was a significant dewilding process or the crush mm-hmm. or some of these horrible things that have to happen in order to have elephants be contained in these zoos and the conditions that you've described. And then, Nikita, as you're describing the opportunity for Shankar to go to a sanctuary, there are, of course, considerations there. I'm delighted to hear That this charity in the UK is um, keen to support and facilitate. So more to come on that, of course. But I think you've painted a really interesting picture of how important it is to be careful with the rewilding process. And Mm -hmm. gosh, wouldn't it be great if we never pulled elephants from the wild to begin with? So that's a very important message uh, as well. Talk a little bit uh, about zoos, because you've been doing some work uh, around World Without Zoos Can you paint a picture about that for us and what some of the things are that you've been doing under that project?
1: Yeah. So as I mentioned, we had uh, started the petition on it. Honestly, at that point, we didn't have a very concrete idea on what we were hoping for. But I think just throughout this whole process, even for Shankar, we started researching the ill effects of captivity on um, animals itself. And I think um, for example, for elephants, you know we were reading research about how the life expectancy of an elephant decreases from usually sixty to seventy years to I'm not sure, but like forty to fifty years mm-hmm. and um also, uh, I found this study interesting from Bob Jacobs on the neurological effect on their like brain, and he found that elephants' brains they actually become less complex and communicative when they're in captivity um so there's like their capillaries or dendrites, they become less complex. So their information processing is inhibited. So I just found that research really important to show that captivity is not only affecting the physical um, aspects of an animal, but also mentally. So um, similar to us, just like imprisonment would do the same thing. And just mm-hmm. like the COVID pandemic did that. And Um, Another thing I think is important to talk about captivity is what you said, like, why are we taking these animals in the first place? I think that um, we fail to, there is, we do realize, but there is limited understanding of the key roles that animals are playing in our environment and how critical it is to kind of maintain that balance rather than, you know, exploiting them for our entertainment. Um, For example, I've recently becoming become more interested in how elephants are climate mitigators. So that's an angle I've never seen before, but you know they are keystone species and they're really important in um, sort of thinning out the understory of a forest and that, um, that decreases competition for the larger trees, allowing them to grow and form more like lush vegetation. And they they have greater biomass and greater wood density. And this allows for the greater absorption of carbon. So it's increasing the potential for the forest to be a carbon sink. So I think that was just really eye-opening for me because I was able to understand that animals are so critical, not only from a compassionate perspective. We shouldn't just say, oh, like, it's just we should not keep them in captivity because, you know, animal uh, against animal cruelty. Obviously, that's one aspect, but also they're important to our future and our sustainability.
0: So if you could see, you know, one of the things when we do this over radio, we can't see each other's facial expressions, but my, my face is nodding. My head is nodding Mm -hmm. in acknowledgement as you're describing what elephants as one example of, of all animals, um, elephants in particular being a keystone species, as you said, Mm -hmm. how they contribute to the ecological, uh, health of whatever ecosystem that they're in. And those effects are far reaching. I think when you talk about climate change, Nikita, it was just one additional example of why we need to be very, very careful and compassionate with animals. Mm -hmm. And you've added now another dimension. So there's the compassion piece. There's the human aspect of us understanding hopefully what it's like to be in confinement and extending that to animals to try to pull them out of confinement and not put them in zoos in the first place. There's the climate aspect. There's sometimes the health aspect. So a lot of this goes to influence. And I'm very conscious of looking at my notes and reminding myself that you're a 16-year-old. You started Youth for Animals two years ago when you were an early teenager. Uh, Talk about what that's like being young, being a Generation Z, having a voice, and how you're using that to build change among youth and also reach out to and connect with adults?
1: Yeah, I think that um, one of the greatest challenges being young is establishing credibility, because we found it was um, difficult to build that, to, you know, connect with animal experts and mentors, because, you know, whenever I communicate with someone, I'd always just hear It's not possible. It's a very idealistic view. Um, It's a good like um, it's a good initiative, but it's not actually going to work practically. So I think one of the things I did to overcome that was doing scientific research or just um, working with the lawyers to compile that information, because in reality, that's what's tangibly going to create an outcome. And I think that was a really important step for me in the whole activist journey. Um, But I also want to acknowledge that for the youth, it's very important um, our presence on social media. That's one of the things that we are really good at. And I think that is so important. So uh, personally for us, we started building our presence on social media like Instagram and Twitter, and we would require, you know, constant updates and engagements. And one of the things I learned is that we need to emotionally involve the community in your cause. It's not just about having numbers on your petition, it's about actually, you know, you want other people to contribute their skills and their thinking and um, to our platform, because that's what we're focused on. We want to empower and amplify the voice of other people. So that's when we had started doing like the poems, the tweets, the art. We had started the campaign um, hashtag art for Shankar, where people drew their interpretations of Shankar's confinement and made it the campaign where, you know, kids lit idea for Shankar. So I think just those little steps, they made a really large difference in raising awareness about him. And I think that's really important in um, one of the ways to establish establish credibility. And just for the um, connecting with other organizations, I remember that I had con- contacted um, Dr. Marianne Garay, and she had offered a support letter for our campaign. And at the time, I didn't even know what a support letter was, but I just said yes, and um, so it sort of sort of was like a chain reaction because I would just go, you know, organization to organization, being like, "Hey, we have a support letter from all these things. Can you contribute one?" So slowly, we started to build uh, more of a network. So we got, you know, some support from a organization called FIAPO, the Federation of Indian Animal Protection Organization, the Pro Elephant Pro Elephant Network, uh, Blue Cross India. So it was just really nice to have support like that. And it wasn't just support, but it was it was also just different perspectives because they would all contribute different reasons for why Shankar's um, captivity is not justified. And I also wanted to bring up that, you know, in the end, our campaign, it's not just about Shankar's freedom. We were really focusing on building a or setting a precedent for all captive elephants in India and really, I guess, use this as a megaphone for the ill treatment of animals in India. So trying to focus beyond Shankar, um, I think was one of the main visions in our campaign.
0: Yeah. And uh, my understanding is you focused on Shankar because you live in Delhi. Uh, That's a very accessible there. It's it. I believe there's also another Rambo is another elephant um, in another part of India. Is there any update you can give us on Rambo or how your efforts are extending to just an India wide awareness of not having elephants and holding them in captivity?
1: Um, yeah. So for Rambo, I had actually gone to Mysore to visit him. And oh. um, yeah, it was, of uh, course, like sad to see him in his condition. The thing I do want to say is that he does have uh, visual and auditory communication with the other elephants, Asian elephants. So that was good to see. And I think he did have a, you know, better physical space than Shunker. So yeah, um, of course, it's still not adequate, and we would also like to focus on him once we've established uh, you know, more finality on Shankar. Mm-hmm. And I think the final like prayer we had mentioned in our petition was that in addition to translocating Shankar to a wildlife sanctuary, we would like the zoo to uh, comply with the 2009 uh, circular, and so they should come up with a rehabilitation plan for translocating all captive elephants. And not obviously, uh, obviously in India, I think we have so much potential and space for um, those rehabilitation programs for elephants, but we're not using it. So um, I think that that would be a really important step for us. Mm
0: hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that, again, what you've been able to stand up in just two years uh, since the beginning of COVID, which has, again, become a worldwide campaign with worldwide media and visibility, is really positive and it's only going to continue, I think, to make an an impact. Let me ask you this, Nikita. You, again, you're 16. You are taking a stand and a voice around something that's a pretty popular uh, tourist attraction. Uh, whether you're visiting a city or you live in a city, going to a zoo is almost a, a rite of passage that many children go through. And many, because they're unaware, you said it at the very beginning of our interview, what they perceived as dancing uh, was actually a very distressed, repetitive movement um, by Shankar these are things that children don't know, and then if we don't know, we grow up thinking that those things are okay. What has the reaction been from your fellow peers, other children of your generation, your family? Uh, how how has the uptake been on convincing folks who might might love zoos that they're really not ideal for animals?
1: Um, I think the support from my family, in specific, they've been really helpful in the whole process, and. Uh, generally generally I think that um, my peers have also begun to understand the implications of going to zoos mm-hmm. um, but I would say for people who are already you know they go to zoos often and they're engaging in like you know coloring elephants or like bathing them when in reality it's very distressful for them they've started they sort of like question our campaign and some of the things they say is like again the whole thing it's not feasible you're actually. Just going to make his condition worse by putting him, by putting the elephant through all of this, um, Mm
0: -hmm. you know,
1: distress by translocating. And um, also, I wanted to bring up like Lucy from the Edmonton Zoo, like one of my friends, she talked about how, you know, a lot of her friends, they're supporting uh, Lucy's captivity. They're saying, I don't understand why everyone's like creating such a ruckus about this. It's just easier for the elephant to stay in the zoo because a majority of its life has already passed on there. But I don't feel like that should be a justification that, oh, the elephant's life is already ruined because elephants live for such a long time. Shanker mm-hmm. is only 24. He still has a majority of his life to live. And I think that it's so important to take a risk. There are going to be, you know, challenges along the way, especially with his rehabilitation and potential rewilding. Like Aspinall's rewilding programs have faced some controversy because, There are risks, but we have to take them because that's what's going to move us forward. Um, So, and especially for even younger children, I think they associate going to the zoo with very happy feelings. You know, you're spending time with your family, usually get like ice cream. So they're not actually focusing on the animals. It's more the feelings associated with going to the zoo. And um, they aren't obviously educated on what's actually happening but i do think there is been i think it's gotten better uh, because mm-hmm. a lot of people on you know twitter and social media are very aware about the uh, repercussions on zoos
0: yeah you you answered that so beautifully nikita and it's because you painted a picture of the reality and also you're helping me and hopefully our listeners see that what you're doing is making a real grassroots impact. If you, if you have access to your classmates and if they're hearing from you, that's how change starts. And again, You've already been influencing people on a very global scale, which I think is extraordinary. And that goes into my next question for you, which is Youth for Animals, the future of your organization, and also some of the other roles you play with Born Free. I know you're an ambassador for some of those organizations. Talk a little bit broader about what you see the future for your organization and your work.
1: I think that one of the things we would like to continue as a part for Youth for Animals is our, like, we have a series of interviews with the experts, and I think they're really important for raising awareness. Uh, for example, we had talked to Anika Sleem, and she is a trustee at uh, Free the Wild, who helped with Cobbins' case, who was an elephant from the Pakistan Zoo. We had talked to as well Singhi the Iyer, who is a famous National Geographic filmer um, who documented elephant exploitation. And um, we had also talked to the wildlife protection uh, Gajendra Sharma about wildlife trade. So I think this interview series is really important in raising awareness, not just about elephants, but just a variety of things that we really wanna focus on. And one of the things we're looking at right now is including more young people into Youth for Animals, maybe as a volunteer program, uh, because you know eventually we would like younger people to take over the initiative and participate themselves in the interviews and uh start campaigns themselves and i think that this activism campaign is really just a stepping stone for us because it's showing that real change can be made outside you know social media and online presence and really urging uh, young people to take a risk even though it might not seem feasible at some point you know you have to take that step forward in order to make a change and ask for born free um, yeah, I think their work is uh, amazing. I really uh, identify with their ethos. And I'm still, you know, thinking of projects I could do with them. And um, one of the things that I am doing right now is um, I'm organizing a webinar, which is actually tomorrow. Um, And this is talking about the role that animals play in mitigating climate change. So we have a couple of like, animal I guess, scientists on that. So I'm really excited about that. That's why I talked about the role of elephants. I think this is a new angle that we should really focus on and that I would like to project as well. Um, and sorry, another thing as well. Um, mm-hmm. I was also interested in uh, this whole idea of environmental ethics, right? This is something I might want to do um, when I go to college as well. So like analyzing the moral relationship Uh, Between us and the environment, because I think we have a very anthropocentric view where, you know, humans are the center of the universe and animals and nature are considered like things, property. Um, I think they're considered, you know, things or property under the law as well. So I think that in reality, animals and nature are like uh, co-habitators of our planet so, um, there's this new idea that they deserve rights and equal consideration as Peter Singer puts in his, uh, book, Animal, uh, Liberation. So I think this whole idea of like rights and personhood for animals, is very interesting. Uh, like there's a case in the New York Bronx Zoo for Happy the Elephant. Uh, she actually passed a mirror test. She could recognize herself in the mirror, which is a sign of self-awareness. So, um, they're filing a habeas corpus for her. So there's whole debate going around on whether animals can be identified as people. So I think that idea is so interesting and I might want to build on that as well.
0: Yeah. And what you've, and you've touched on so many things you mentioned Kavan and that's a, he's a wonderful example of a risk, but forward movement, and my understanding is he's thriving, uh, even if folks would have previously said, oh, no, he should stay where he is, don't, rock. actually, he he seems to be thriving in his new jungle uh, yeah. habitat. Um, equally, you also mentioned quite a few things about the ethos of some of the organizations you work with, and I love the angle you're taking about climate and the environment. I think that that is something that probably resonates with a lot of people, and of course, a whole generation and a movement. And of course, we're, we're recording this just a few days after Earth Day. So that is also top of mind. So best of luck on your panel. I think that's a really enterprisingly um, smart way to position this issue as well for, for people. And also when you talk, Nikita, about what you want to study around the interconnectedness of the environment and humans and animals, I think that's a really that has a lot of possibility for how we look at things you know it, it struck me as you were talking because i think we we as humans can only perceive through our five senses and Mm -hmm. animals have very different senses that they use that are not accessible to us. So elephants, you know, can detect through their feet sounds from miles and miles and miles away uh, and communicate with Mm -hmm. other elephants in the wild. I mean, those are remarkable things that humans don't even have access to that we can really tap into. So kudos to you for all of the things you're planning um, for yourself and how you want to study and contribute back. I want to ask you um, about the, the things that our listeners can do. So youthforanimals.org, that's your website. You've mentioned social media a few times. You've also mentioned people lending their skills and talents. What is the, the thing that our listeners can do to support you right now in the immediate or share a message to get other people on board?
1: Um, I think the immediate action is to sign our petition and they could share it on social media and yeah, just sharing our posts on social media. They could contact us if they have anything they would like to contribute. Um, we're very open to like posting like stories or contributing and collaborating with people. And, um, yeah, I mean, I guess just talking about the issue itself is very important. Um, And doing research on it, you know, educating yourself on what you can do. I think it is a bit difficult to see, like, how can I help? But I think just social media is a great way anyone can contribute because a lot of people Mm -hmm. have access to it.
0: Yeah. And I think, again, I I go back to your website where all of those social channels are linked, youthforanimals.org. And that Just being on your website is quite inspiring, Nikita, because you get to see the faces of you, your co-founders, some of the other volunteers. You get to see art. So if you're a listener and you don't know exactly how to help, absolutely sign the petition and share. Those are really simple, straightforward, but if really impactful ways you can make a difference. And I would say to our listeners, get inspired by what's on the website. You know, if you have children, they can create art. They can contribute in ways that might also speak to what Nikita has been saying throughout her interview with us, which is there's lots of ways for the humans and the psyche of us as humans to be able to get emotionally connected and invested to help Shankar and also all the elephants um, from captivity. So art, poetry, lending your voice. I think there's lots of ways our listeners can help. Um, Nikita, you have talked a little bit about college. Again, I'm going to say it one more time. You're 16 years old and it's remarkable what you've been able to stand up in a few short years. Can you talk a little bit um, to close this out if there's anything else that I haven't asked you that you want to be sure that you share? And if not, or at least at the end of that commentary, if you could also share what gives you hope.
1: Um, no, I think, yeah, I think you've covered all of it. And um, I think this platform is really great that we can talk about these issues. Um, I think something I just wanted to mention is the like importance of resilience in this whole process, because I think it can get a bit demotivating and daunting at some points. But I think just moving (laughs) past it, and just knowing that knowing your end goal is very helpful. And I think that one of the things that brings me hope is just seeing how involved everyone my age is in so many things in the environmental field or any other fields. People are very, very passionate about what they're doing. I think the main um, step we need to take right now is just to amplify their voices and um, give them a bit more motivation that what they're saying is relevant um, because, you know my one of the other goals I have with this campaign is to create a ripple effect right I want my project to inspire someone else someone younger someone else to take that step because eventually when I when I first saw Shankar I thought why can't a bigger other organization take it take up this case like I could just tell them and they can do it they would make more of an impact but in but no one had done that it had been 16 years So, I decided that I needed to take that. So, I really hope that uh, by listening to this and all the other amazing things that the youth are doing, uh, people can be inspired to um, take up their cases. And it doesn't even matter if it's small. I mean, I started out with just one elephant in one zoo, and it's made, you know, it's starting to make a larger impact. So, I think if you just start small, you can start local and it would just create a ripple effect for everyone so i think that's just something that i wanted to mention
0: that's a that's an outstanding outstanding call to action for some of us gen xers or boomers if if uh, those of us not gen z Are listening, it's not too late for us um, to also lend our voices and support because if Nikita is as a 16-year-old already thinking about the next generation and the legacy that her generation is able to leave, that's something that we can all contribute to. Nikita, thank you so much for this lovely insight into the work that you've been doing. We are behind you. We support you. Um, and I hope that our listeners get inspired as well to throw their voice and support to your petition and all the work you're doing. Animals, all one word, dot org. Nikita Devon is the founder and an extraordinary voice for elephants and animals around the world. Nikita, thank you so much. Wishing you the best of luck in your panel tomorrow and uh, all that you do. Great. Yeah. Thank
1: you so much for having me. And thank you for all the work that you're doing today
0: oh likewise thanks so much it's been a pleasure we'll talk hopefully have you back on the show again soon with an update on how the hearing goes in a couple months yeah of course thank you so much great thank you